Welcome to episode two of the podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie, and this is The End. Most of us have an emergency box, maybe even multiple emergency boxes. One for the car, one for the house, and maybe, if you're really prepared, one with a whole bunch of stuff you'll need to face the new world if things really go south. Have you looked at yours recently? Next time you do go to rate it for batteries or a can of chickpeas, take a close look at what you've stashed away because I think what you've got there might tell you something about yourself. Not just how you think the end is going to go down, but what you think your life is going to look like afterward. Mine, for example, contains all the usual suspects. We've got the bottled water, the hand-powered radio, the candles, and the waterproof matches. It's got a map of Ontario and a compass a box of granola bars, and three bags of bulgur. But it also has, and maybe you can relate to this, a small plastic bin full of heritage seeds. As though in the apocalypse, step one is to either hole up where you are or flee to a better spot. And then step two is to immediately become a farmer somehow. As though when everything collapses, I will immediately acquire a set of horticulture skills that I never had previously. In reality, I'm actually terrible at gardening, and where I currently live in the city, there's probably less than two meters square of space where I could plant something and hope for it to grow. But somehow, in this scenario I'm imagining, I'll have the skills and the know-how to get all these plants growing, and presumably the space. I guess in my scenario, we're throwing the Rubbermaid bins in the trunk and hightailing it out of Toronto altogether. Luckily, there is some actual food in my emergency box, and there's also two books on how to grow all your own food on less than one acre. So I guess the other thing I'm counting on is that the apocalypse will be so slow moving that I'll have all kinds of leisure time to read and do some research. And I'm looking at the seeds themselves. I've got rainbow Swiss chard here, uh, sugar drip sorghum. I got that one because of The Walking Dead, obviously. I've got uh, tomatillos, carrots, Burgess buttercup squash, uh, cherry vanilla quinoa. That's a little weird. Hopefully that's just a reference to the color. But okay, all of these plants need to be started indoors six to eight weeks before the last frost. And then you transplant them, and then it'll still be some time before they bear something that you can actually eat. So if we're lucky enough to escape the city, we'll get this imaginary garden going, and then wait, I guess, at least two months for the seeds to bear fruit. So I've been thinking about emergency boxes a lot since I reread Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Among other things, it's made me aware of how woefully inadequate my emergency supplies are. Uh, One little note before I say any more, and this will be the disclaimer for the entire series. Hopefully it's obvious that since this is a podcast about books, in every single episode we'll be discussing, you know, books, which means tons of quote-unquote spoilers. So if you haven't read the book yet, Maybe pause here if you're not okay with knowing what's in it. Read the book, come back, okay. So throughout the book, there's this constant itemization of what they have on hand. What's in the shopping cart? What's in the pack? What's in each cupboard that they rifle through in each house? Can they trust that jar of homemade preserves? Why has no one else taken it yet? It's such a focus that having a store of food becomes your own obsession as you read. I mean, when they leave the bunker, I was practically tearing my hair out. I wanted them to stay there until every last bit of food was gone. And it also never would have occurred to me before that shoes would be such a big issue in the apocalypse, but it's a very real problem for the man and the child. 
their shoes are falling apart early on. They're wrapped with sacking and cord to get through the snow. And they pass through a city where all of the dead bodies have been stripped of their footwear. Everywhere they go, the shoes have been sacked. So that's something else to add to the box. But of course, it's not all food and kit supply issues in the road. There's a pervasive, overwhelming sadness and fear underlying everything. And of course, there are moments of pure terror. Joe Fassler describes one of these moments, the moment I would say, because I had the exact same reaction when I read it, that heart racing, put the book down and walk away kind of feeling. Anyway, he describes it in a May 2013 article in The Atlantic titled, Cormac McCarthy's The Road May Have the Scariest Passage in All of Literature. And I have to agree. Uh, I'm not going to read the excerpt from the book because it's too good. And if you're still listening and you haven't read it, I don't want to rob you of that. For me, the scariest part actually comes immediately after when we see the owners of the house come loping over the hill. I don't think McCarthy says loping, but that's what I picture. These enormous humans just loping into view, heading right for the house. Fassler describes his experience of reading this passage in this way. And maybe this is the only time this has ever happened to me, he says. But what is revealed is even more terrifying than what I could have imagined. Humans are harvesting each other in order to survive. These pale, chewed-up creatures emerge from the dark and rattle their chains and moan and reach for the father. We're afraid of them, but we're afraid more of what might await the father upstairs, the people responsible for this. And this is the essential horror of the road. It's what we humans can and might do to one another under extreme circumstances. The truth is that you can prepare all you want, but there are some things you're never prepared for. And among these, the lengths to which human beings will go to protect themselves and survive may be one of the most terrifying to confront. Hopefully none of us will ever need to. But that's the inescapable through line of the road. Which, by the way, the book has no chapters. Did you notice that? And the fact that there's no chapters perfectly emphasizes the relentlessness of this journey, of their existence. I.e., there are no convenient pauses in this nightmare. On the road, in the present tense, they're surrounded by the dead, but at one point the man remembers something from his childhood. Those disinterred dead, he says, that had been relocated to accommodate a highway. Many had died in a cholera epidemic and they'd been buried in haste, in wooden boxes, and the boxes were rotting and falling open. The dead came to light, lying on their sides and with their legs drawn up, and some lay on their stomachs. The dull green antique coppers spilled out from the tills of their eye sockets, onto the stained and rotted coffin floors. And this is all of us, really. In one way or another, the world has been ending over and over again since the dawn of time. Whether it's a disease that takes out your town or an earthquake that wipes out a thousand kilometers of coastline. And eventually, it's the end of the world for each of us. As the old man says, when you die, it's the same as if everybody else did too. Throughout the road, the man fights death. The man being the protagonist, not the old man fights death not just by surviving the threat of other people, but by not giving in to the temptation to escape into death himself, and he does it for the sake of his child. Against all odds, he keeps the child alive, and in the time they have, gives every last good thing to him. The grape drink powder, or that cold, intact can of Coca-Cola that they find, like a miracle, in the old vending machine. Today, listeners, I'm making a list of things to add to my emergency box. A pair of good sneakers for sure, but maybe a few things that are a little less practical as well. A little more fun than a one month supply of dried legumes. 
Maybe it'll just be a chocolate bar or some hunks of maple sugar, but something small and emblematic of the world we're enjoying right now, because who knows what it might mean or what a difference it might make when everything else is gone. That's it for this episode of The End. I hope you liked it, and if you did, please subscribe or leave a review in iTunes. I'd love to hear what you think. Until next time, I'm Stephanie, and this has been The End.